Welcome back to the No Nonsense Anti-Racism Podcast. If you turn on the television, listen to the radio, or bless you if you still read the newspaper, you would notice that everything these days is elections, elections, elections. And in case you didn't know, there is a federal election coming up on Monday, September 20th. If you are shocked by just how quickly this election crept up on you, don't panic. You are in excellent company. Now, I won't tell you who to vote for, and I won't tell you who I'm voting for on this episode. I couldn't possibly even summarize all of the party's platform promises because they are numerous. But what I can share is what the federal parties are offering when it comes to anti-racism. Politics in Canada is a beast of a topic on a good day, and when it comes to anti-racism, is not much smaller to tackle. But today, I'm going to do my best. We are going to discuss what, if anything, federal parties have said they'll do to tackle racism in Canada, what diversity looks like in each of these federal parties, and how politically engaged communities of color are across this country. Some people may wonder why I'm talking about politics and communities of color, that it's divisive and sowing discontent for specific parties. Know that that isn't the aim of this conversation. Politics in Canada, like every other institution, is based on white supremacy and colonialism. Our political system has its roots in the British political system. Politics has a huge role to play in dismantling or propping up systemic racism. It was Canadian policies that put Indigenous children in residential schools. It was Canadian policies that limited economic rights of Black migrants coming to Canada. And you guessed it, Canadian policies are what put Japanese Canadians in internment camps. We've covered all of these topics in past episodes, so make sure to go listen to them if you need a refresher. But at the heart of the racism and discrimination that is experienced in Canada, much of it has been aided by policies put in place by politicians. A recent study found that white men make up a third of Canada's population, but a majority of MPs. This is why elections and representation is so important. You cannot ensure meaningful change is going to happen if you don't have people in positions of power who will support that change or who even believe that that change is necessary. Political engagement and activism is a powerful resource for change, which is why it's sometimes hard to harness. Many people are numb to politics. They find it boring or they're cynical about how much they as an individual can do. In Canada, communities of color and young people are far less likely to vote than older and white Canadians. As you can imagine, this has socioeconomic consequences that we'll dive into a little bit later. So, first, let's talk about how anti-racism is showing up in the elections. I'll admit, I haven't been following the election coverage as much as I have in the past years, but in this little time that I've been watching and reading, I haven't heard much on the topic of racism. And this is pretty surprising considering the year of social justice activism that we've seen around anti-Black racism and Canada's past and current history of anti-Indigenous policies. It seems advocates would agree. Fareed Khan of Canadians United Against Hate said, On the one platform when it would make the biggest impact during an election, they haven't talked about it. So what that says to me 
and a lot of people, activists, is that maybe what they've said over the last year is just a lot of talk, and they're not as serious about fighting hate as they said they were. The campaign trail is an opportunity for leaders to explain how they will respond to protests against anti-blackness, calls for justice for Indigenous peoples, and actions against Islamophobia. We're not seeing enough of that during this election. There was one moment in the debates that got a lot of media attention, which was the discussion of Quebec's Bill 21, aka the secularism law that forbids federal employees from wearing any religious clothing or symbols such as hijabs or turbans. The Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet complained that the question painted Quebecers as racist. Prime Minister Trudeau and Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole defended Quebec as not racist. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh said it's unhelpful to single out any one province. Annemie Paul, the leader of the Green Party, was the only one to speak up about Bill 21's discriminatory effect. I invited Mr. Blanchet to uh, get educated about systemic discrimination. I extend that invitation again. I would be happy to educate him. It's nice to want to educate This me. is my time, sir. It may have been the biggest moment of the debate, and it happened between two people who can't become prime minister. Federal Green Party leader Annemie Paul offering to educate Yves-Francois Blanchet on systemic racism. This after the bloc leader said the issue was being used to attack Quebec. The Quebec provincial leader, François Legault, demanded an apology afterwards to Quebec for being painted as racist. That was an attack for sure against Quebec. With fire in his eyes and emotion in every word, Premier François Legault defended his province and demanded an apology from the consortium of broadcasters. The Bill 21 doesn't apply in the rest of Canada. So please, please... Uh, it's not of your business. I have too many thoughts on Bill 21, and I believe wholeheartedly that it is discriminatory. But hopefully we can cover all of that in another podcast episode. This question on Bill 21 was one of the few times that racism has come up in mainstream conversations on race, but not in the way I would have hoped. It would have been great to talk about how we as a country are tackling systemic racism, led by those vying to be the next prime minister, instead of crying reverse racism as a way to deflect from actually talking about this issue. Although not brought up in election debates, some candidates are talking about their plans and promises to address Canada's racism. I have to say right off the bat that the NDP and Green Party's platforms when it comes to anti-racism action and reform across multiple systems, by the way, like education, criminal justice, health and immigration, are light years ahead of the Liberal, Conservatives, and Bloc Québécois. In terms of who's talking about it, in a talk that Trudeau had on Friday, September 10th, he did discuss racialized, how racialized people are hit harder than others during the pandemic. He mentioned the increase of white supremacist groups online and defended the Liberals' track in how much they've supported the BIPOC community so far. He promised to introduce a new law combating online hate in his first 100 days if he was re-elected. Aaron O'Toole has said in a statement that he is committed to working with communities to find concrete solutions to experiences of discrimination and racism. O'Toole said, Conservatives believe the institutional failings that have led to these outcomes can and must be urgently addressed. It is imperative that we meet this challenge 
with practical policy changes that solve institutional and systemic problems. So let's dive into what each of the political parties are promising when it comes to anti-racism and tackling this challenge. For the Liberals, they have invested $400 million in its Black Entrepreneurship Program and proposed Bill C-22 to address the overrepresentation of Indigenous and Black people in prisons. They also recently announced a $96 million investment initiative to back 1,300 projects for Black-led organizations, and their 2021 budget proposes at least $172 million over five years for Statistics Canada to disaggregate its data, something that anti-racism advocates have asked for for years. Now, when it comes to criminal justice, they've put out a few different policy ideas. The one I mentioned already about combating harmful online content, They've committed to providing $21 million over five years for the Racialized Communities Legal Support Initiative, and they're adding $216 million over five years to the Youth Justice Services Funding Program to support diversion programs and help the overrepresentation of Indigenous, Black, and other racialized groups. For the Conservative Party, Aaron O'Toole has said that he has zero tolerance for racism, yet he has not stated whether he believes systemic racism exists in Canada. During the 2020 Conservative leadership race, Aaron O'Toole said that his call for mandatory minimum sentences wouldn't further increase incarceration levels for Black and Indigenous Canadians. In a Conservative document, it says that it is, quote-unquote, time for Conservatives to take inequality seriously and he vows that the party will appoint Canada's first Muslim ambassador and first ambassador to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. He promised to double funding for the security infrastructure program to address a rise in hate crimes. So now let's talk about the NDP, who I mentioned earlier has quite a comprehensive anti-racism commitment. Singh is calling for a ban on carding by the RCMP and has vowed to create a task force to investigate Black and Indigenous overrepresentation in prisons. The NDP are committing to tackling online hate and extremism, vowing to ensure social media platforms are legally responsible for the removal of hateful and extremist content. Singh has also said that if the NDP were in power, they would prioritize race-based data on health, employment, and policing. The NDP are committing to ensuring that all major cities have dedicated hate crime units in their local police forces and convene a national working group on online hate. They are also, like the Liberals, prioritizing the collection of race-based data on health, employment, policing, and other areas. They want to ban carding by the RCMP and work with local partners to end this practice in all jurisdictions in Canada. They want to establish a First Nations justice and policing strategy. They have committed to also conducting a review of existing employment equity rules in order to close the racialized wage gap that exists in Canada. And the list goes on for quite some time. Those are just some highlights, but their platform has quite a few commitments about anti-racism. So now let's talk about the Green Party. Creating a just society is one of the three main pillars of the Green Party platform, so it's not a surprise that they have a lot of commitments that are aimed to tackle systemic racism. 
a few of their commitments and again just like the NDP they have quite a few so I'm only going to list some of them is that they commit to tackling systemic racism by implementing all of the recommendations from reports and commissions into systemic racism in Canada that have been done such as the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls as well as the UN Working Group of Experts on People of African Descent on its mission to Canada. So all of the suggestions that they made, the Green Party are saying that they will implement. Annemi Paul has said that she would reduce investment in police services and she called for the creation of community elected accountability councils that will oversee police services departments. Similar to the NDP and Liberal Party, she called for race-based government data to be implemented across the board in all sectors. The Green Party has committed to passing the National Strategy Respecting Environmental Racism and Environmental Justice Act, which is called Bill C-230. She's also committed to infrastructure projects such as expanding access to green spaces, especially for racialized communities and others facing systemic barriers. So as I said, it's a very long list that um, tackles systemic racism in health, infrastructure, policing, like criminal justice and more. I literally can't say them all on this podcast, but just like the others, we will post uh, all of the party platforms in the show notes so that you can go ahead and take a look. So let's go ahead and talk about the Bloc Québécois. Unfortunately, I uh, can't say that they have policies that or commitments to anti-racism the same way that the last four parties that I just mentioned do. It isn't surprising that this party doesn't have a lot of policies on anti-racism because Blanchette has been documented as saying that it isn't necessarily racist for a person not to believe in systemic racism. And he dismissed the idea that Quebec's secularism law is racist at all. He also refused a 2020 motion calling on MPs to state that there is systemic racism in the RCMP. His reasoning, he said, is because his party was already supporting a committee study on racism in the RCMP. He has defended the use of the N-word in an educational context. But one policy that they did share is that the Block platform calls for the federal government to use anonymous resumes in the federal public service to address hiring discrimination. So unfortunately, not a lot there when it comes to the Bloc Québécois. And I'll just mention quickly that the People's Party, uh, similar to the Bloc Québécois, does not have very many specific measures on racial inequality. The People's Party has criticized Canada's approach to multiculturalism, arguing that it's based on the idea that Canada has no, in quotes, no distinct identity. The party has said that it would repeal the Multiculturalism Act and end funding to promote multiculturalism and instead focus on the integration of immigrants. The People's Party has said that it would lower the annual number of immigrants welcomed to Canada to 100 to 150,000 instead of the targeted 350,000, and that they would assess potential immigrants on whether they, in quotes, align with Canadian values and societal norms. 
did you know we are always looking for community organizations to collaborate with if you have any kind of events that you want to share out on this podcast or through our social media please feel free to get in touch and we'd be happy to do that you can contact us through email no nonsense podcast at gmail.com k-n-o-w also linked in the show notes we can't wait to hear more from you Perhaps it's not that surprising that some parties are more forward-thinking when it comes to systemic racism, especially when you look at the diversity of their party. Studies show that systemic obstacles prevent women and people of color from getting involved in politics in the first place, and rising to be party leadership is even harder. As I mentioned earlier, and this is according to a CBC Radio Canada data analysis, although making up 30% of our population, White men make up the majority of MPs. White male candidates also receive more funding from their parties and ran in ridings that their parties already had strongholds in. There's a great data visualization site that I'm going to link in the show notes so that you can take a look through all of the information that they compiled. Since 1990, of the 175 leaders, of provincial or federal parties that have led their party in the election and won seats, only 18% of those leaders were women, and only 8% were people of color. Women began winning party leadership in larger numbers in the 1990s. Politicians like Rita Johnson was named leader of the British Columbia Social Credit Party in 1991 and became Canada's first female premier. Kim Campbell won the federal progressive conservative leadership in 1993 and became Canada's first and only female prime minister. Note, no racialized Canadians won major leadership in the 1990s. This shifted in the 2000s when people of color won approximately 13% of leadership races over the last 20 years, but that's not that long ago. Between 2005 and 2009, so in four years, just over a third of party leadership races were won by women. This declined again in the 2010s, and since 2015, only 10% of new party leaders have been women. The NDP has chosen the highest number of women or racialized people as party leaders than the liberals or conservatives. Women have won about 29% of NDP leadership races, compared to about 15% for both the Liberals and Conservatives. I have a fun fact for you. How many of our current provincial leaders are white men, so our premiers? What do you think the answer is? The answer is all of them. At the moment, every single one of our provincial government leaders are white males. At one point in our recent history, in 2013 to be precise, six provincial premiers and one territory were female. About 11% of the current party leaderships are non-white Canadians, so that's not much. Just 16% of our current provincial or federal party leaders are women and none of them are in a position of power right now. 
For example, Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath or Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley are opposition leaders in their provinces. When it comes to members of parliament, only 29% of them are women and about 18% of them are people of color. This is across all of the federal parties. These are not great statistics. I'm pretty surprised that we don't hear more about racism in politics when you hear about just how many visible minority member of parliament candidates experience racism on the campaign trail. Businessman Talib Nur Mohammed is running for the Liberals for a third time, hoping this election will be different. You start with the name, you start with the color of your skin, and those are realities. You know, people making comments about me being a Muslim. So you get, you know, very Islamophobic comments. Candidates of color can become targets. The front window of my uh, office was smashed in. Um, there was one occasion where my tire was slashed, uh, and that's a bit frightening. Jenny Kwan has been in politics for nearly 30 years. I'm so proud to be the first Chinese-Canadian woman ever elected to the B.C. legislature. Holding office at all three levels of government. But she's suffered personal insults for who she is along the way. She says racist attacks and hateful comments are getting more brazen. They are finding their voice more and more now. I've had to call the police on one occasion where someone came into the office, was absolutely belligerent and was racist, was sexist, misogynistic. And lately there's been a string of high-profile resignations by women of color members of parliament because of challenges that they faced within the political system, such as Nunavut MP Mumalak Tagak and Ontario MP Selena Caesar Chavans. It's a challenge to get into politics, and it is a challenge to stay in it. Let's talk a little bit about who is voting, because there are some big gaps across Canada. There's been an overall decline in voting in the past 50 years. The voting rate fell from 79% in the 1963 federal election to 61% in 2011. They were at an all-time low of 58.5% in 2008. Among eligible voters 25 years and older, the lower voting rates were observed for the 25 to 34 age group, people with lower levels of education, recent immigrants, and parents with children under five, as well as Aboriginal people. The people most likely to have voted were seniors, university graduates, people whose personal income was higher and who were homeowners, and people who were married or in a common law union. From a regional point of view, voter turnout was the highest in Quebec, Prince Edward Island, and New Brunswick. Age plays a big factor when it comes to voting. In 2013, for example, the proportion of young adults from 25 to 34 who reported having voted in the last federal election was 70%, compared with seniors aged 75 and older who reported having voted at 92%. That's a massive 22% difference. There's also a big difference when it comes to education. The difference in voting rate between people without a high school diploma was at 77% compared to university graduates at 89%. For people from 25 to 34 years old without a high school diploma, they only voted at 44%.
compared with those who are university graduates who voted at 81%. So beyond the socioeconomic differences in people, it's also about people's interest in politics. For people who are interested in politics, the probability of voting was 30 percentage points higher than for people who are not interested in politics at all. The disparities between voter turnout by age groups is also pretty stark. We're going to post a chart that we found in the research so that you can see the percentage point differences by age group and the year of elections. And I don't think I have to tell you again just how important it is to vote. For people who are not politically active, unfortunately, it means that politicians aren't going to pay attention to you and the specific needs of your community. So when we see older white people coming out to vote, we can definitely see how political parties are making promises and commitments so that they can get those specific votes. So that's how anti-racism and diversity stack up in this year's federal election. Anti-racism could and should have a bigger platform. I expected to hear more since it feels like there's a shift in recognition about the effects of systemic racism, but I have not seen as much as I had hoped for. No matter what your political affiliations are, I hope every single one of you will make sure to vote in next week's elections. It is very easy to become cynical about the whole process of voting and politics, but it is a right and a duty of each of us to participate in our civic process. It is a right that we're actually seeing being taken away from people across the world. We are going to link all of the party's different platforms in full in the show notes, so go take a look at which party's platforms speak the most to you. See you on election day! The No Nonsense team is made up of Beverly Osazua, who leads our research, Jade Sullivan manages our social media, and I am your host, Nara Yunus. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye.